0: Hi everybody, I'm Juliana from Band Dink And I'm here with Jay from Hook Rocks. And I'm here to talk about Midnight Rider, Band Inc's first single, and some upcoming music that's going to be released very soon.
1: Welcome back. It's the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. I'm your host, Jay Scott, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Don't forget to check out some of my pals on the great platform of music-related podcasts like Vinny Apice and Carmen Apice on the Hanging and Bangin' podcast, Martin Popoff, the rock historian, Mistress Carrie out in Boston, Tom and Zeus on the Shout Out Loudcast, Mac on the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast, and Decibel Geek. As well, don't forget to check out The Hook Rocks wherever you podcast, on Apple, Spotify, on every platform. And set your app to automatic download so you get the latest episode whenever we do drop it. We've had some great episodes lately. We had Mark Tremonti on, talking his new album. Mark Tremonti sings Frank Sinatra. Joe Satriani visited us a few weeks ago, as well as Ty Tabber from King's X. Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy. And a whole slew of other Great guest. We've had some great new music spotlights with bands like Joyous Wolf, Bastet, Stone Broken, and the band Georgia Thunderbolts. And we also did our quarterly album review where we ranked the top 10 albums of the first quarter of 2022 with my friend Chris Corradetti. And don't forget to check out our live album review, our fourth installment of that series with The Recivitus talking Kiss Alive and the impact it had on the rock community. We've got a great guest for you today. Been looking forward to this interview for a bit. Here, we're going to talk his new project. We'd like to welcome in from Seven Dust, John Connolly. What's happening, John? How are
2: you? Oh, doing good, man. Doing good out here uh, in the middle of an animosity run, but yeah, we're uh, we're sort of back at it. So we're 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 definitely happy to be uh, working again.
1: Where are you at these days?
2: Uh, we are in Philly, uh, on our way to Baltimore, uh, mostly an East Coast run. We did the West Coast um, back in February. Uh, this is mostly East Coast, and then we have a third run that'll be going in September. And I think it's sort of—I'm not real sure where that run goes. To be quite honest with you, but yeah, we're uh, we're we're Philly right now, uh, heading south.
1: Awesome. Well, glad to have you on. Thanks for doing this. I do appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having
1: me. We always start the same way every time we have a first-time guest on the Hook Rocks. That is really what the show is all about, just like every rock song has a hook that pulls you in. Every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you?
2: Uh, Oh, man, it it would have been. No question of a doubt. Detroit Rock City, Kiss Alive 2. Yeah, it was like. I, I think I have five copies of that vinyl. Two of them are autographed. It's like probably the most impactful record. But yeah, it, that first song, Detroit Rock City, I heard it eight years old. You know, I mean, it was like my mom came in, you know, giving me the evil eye. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm doing good. This is awesome. So, yeah, from that moment on, it was like, OK, that's it. That that's that started it all. <laughs>
1: We just did a live album review of Kiss Alive, but I myself have always been partial to Kiss Alive too, because too. I heard yeah. that first before Kiss Alive.
2: I did, I did as well. Same thing with me. Uh, Kiss Alive too is the first thing that I heard, and then I worked my way back through the catalog. I didn't get to Alive for a minute because I, I was trying to figure out. I was like, okay, which records are you know like. Which ones belong with which? Like, is hotter than hell. Okay, wait a minute. That's on Alive. You know, once I started paying attention to, like, the the sequence of how they release their records. But, yeah. Kiss Alive 2, for sure, for me. Alive's great, but Alive 2 was just, there was something about it.
1: Well, the gatefold, too, right? I mean, you open up that LP, it's just...
2: 100%. I saw that. I was like, okay, he's on fire. There's fire everywhere. I was like, this is intense,
1: you know? I, I still think that picture of Gene with the blood is probably the best picture he's ever taken.
2: Oh, it's amazing. I mean, look, when you're eight years old and you see that, I was like, wait a second. Is this what, like, do all musicians do this? <laughs> I thought that was, like, normal. I was like, where's everyone else's face paint and costumes? And everyone was like, no, nah, they definitely don't don't all do that. I was like, okay, all right. I was totally confused. But yeah, I mean, I bought a hook, line, and sinker. I had Kiss posters everywhere. <laughs>
1: That album certainly lit the fire in you. Where did it go from there in terms of music, in terms of influences, in terms of singing? I mean,
2: musically, I, I, I was that weird kid um, because I was a huge Kiss fan. But when I really, really started to focus on, uh, it, well, it was drums before guitar. You know, it was hard not to be a Rush fan. It was hard not to be a Neil Pert fan because he was sort of the bar that was set you know there was a lot of cool stuff that was happening with van allen at that point in time you know hot for teacher and stuff like that so you know the drum bar was raised so much um and there was always the argument in school it was like oh rush is like real musicians and Kiss is and i was like it's a totally different thing you know even back then i was like i love them both but for completely different reasons like you're going to see a kiss show to see the show it's a spectacle. You're going to see all kinds of stuff. You go to a rush, there you're going to see three dudes that are playing really, really hard, you know, musical pieces, which some people don't dig at all. You know, some people are like, that's not the show that they want to see. So, um, you know, I, I kind of spent equal amount of time with with the, the Kiss people and with the Rush folks. So, you know, I, I totally understood and appreciated all the, all the progressive stuff that was happening. And then all the metal bands that kind of sat, you know, went along for the ride with it. You know, Judas Priest and then Iron Maiden. Um, which was, you know, pretty progressive as well. But yeah, I mean, it it was all those bands. And then, you know, I think the one that probably solidified it all for me um, was when I first heard Master of Puppets, because there was nothing else that was going on that was like that. You know, that that record is probably the record. You know, the, the three most impactful rock records in my life were Kiss Alive 2, Master of Puppets, and then after that, it was probably vulgar display of power because I was like, I don't know how anyone's going to raise the bar from what Metallica had done. Um, but that that was sort of my path, you know. I, I kind of ended up in like a really weird, crazy metal place coming from Kiss and Rush. <laughs> so, I, it, you know, anything was sort of fair game back then. But it was like it, it was interesting to see how the metal bar had changed and been raised by, you know. 20 years of starting with i mean sabbath i guess was like really true metal but i don't know there there was something about the kiss thing that was just you know the blood and the fire and i mean it was effective
1: (laughs) absolutely i mean like you said you know being a young kid and hearing kiss and seeing kiss first of all it was always seeing kiss right i mean at that age the music is just kind of going over your head at that point right you're just totally into these outfits and the breathing fire and the blood and the explosions and it's just like it's like the circus absolutely um, yeah and then you know you, you start listening to stuff like rush and and you know for me it was led zeppelin you know my cousin came in from california when i was in high school he brought this duffel bag full of bootlegs led zeppelin bootlegs and it was like i just transformed into a zeppelin flam like over like two months um that was kind of like my gateway there, but I still remember that Master of Puppets album too. We had a radio station in Chicago, and they world premiered it one night, and I just remember standing in front of my stereo, just staring at my speakers, going, "What the hell is this?"
2: Right. There's only a couple times in my life that have that I've had that. Uh, the first time I heard Eruption, I had that um, because I, I was like, "How many guitar players are in this band?" I was, I was, <laughs> I took the album back, flipped it over, and I'm like. There's only one dude playing guitar, or like, okay, you know, it totally blew my mind. Had no idea what was happening, but uh, but yeah, I, I totally didn't get it. You know, it, it was one of those most bizarre, you know, experiences because I, I thought I was pretty hip on what was going on with metal and stuff like that, I and mean, there was something about those first two or three songs on Master of Puppets that I was like, all right, this is gonna change everything in a pretty big way, you know, it it smells like team spirit. I heard that and I went, okay, I'm glad I'm not in one of these bands. Um,
1: You know, it was the late
2: eighties where everything was a carbon copy of carbon copy and all that stuff. But there was something pretty special about what, what Metallica had pulled off there. You know,
1: how about lyrically? I mean, you mentioned these iconic albums. How did those shape you when writing music? Um.
2: I mean it was always fascinating to me you know that that like i think the rush stuff was probably the stuff that i probably identified with the most because the maiden stuff was literally a little too in the fantasy world like not really you know they weren't talking about the same things that nirvana was talking about but at the same time i was like well it doesn't have to be all bad and it doesn't have to be all depressing like we, we can kind of spread the wealth here and we can cover some some territory but for me it was always kind of like you know lyrically it has to come more from a personal experience um and some of these bands i was like okay there's no personal experience going on with the iron maiden stuff for sure but the rush stuff was always interesting enough where i was like okay you know he's so witty with how he throws his words and his lyrics together um it was just fascinating to me and he was the drummer who was writing it all you know so there was you know bonus points for that for sure um but yeah, I mean, all of those records had such a huge impact on how I approach lyrics. I mean, a lot of it, you know, coming from the Kiss um, world, was sort of—I don't want to say shallow, but it wasn't as deep intellectually as some of the stuff that Neil was talking about. I mean, there's some songs on the Rush records that I'm still trying to figure out what he was really talking about. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, so especially on the old stuff, um, you're like, "Wow, okay," you know, we're we're going out there. Um, But yeah, I mean, all those records had a huge impact on, you know, songwriting and how you approach lyrics and stuff.
1: Is it hard, you know, when you have all those influences and then you also are writing something like you're, you're being observant, you're writing about personal stories or whatever you're writing about, you know, how do you pull from those influences when you are trying to write something personal to yourself?
2: Um, it, for me, it's more, it usually starts more from a melodic, you know, place, like, a, you know, witty words and lyrics and stuff like that. It's cool. Um, but I never really look at, you know, the influences and stuff like that, as far as what to say, it's always sort of like, which note should I be saying it in, you know, I'll definitely lean on, you know, a lot of their things and a lot of the things that turn me on with. When i was a kid you know the things that sort of drew you in you know what was so fascinating about those things you know the, those simple little melodic lines that are just signature things um but the, yeah you know you, you take that and then you know you throw your own experience at it you know it's like i've always tried to write from more of like a personal you know point of view so um for me it, you know if I went through it, or I was going through it, or I'm going through it, it's much easier for me to talk about than if I was writing about something that was happening to somebody else. But I mean, occasionally you can look at it from a, you know, an outside perspective, and and you can, you know, you can come up with some cool song, you know, ideas and, and things like that. But for me, it's always kind of like, all right, I'm in it, so I'm going to talk about it. You know, that's always probably the the easiest place for me to start for sure.
1: The album is Hypoxia. The band is projected. It features members from Seven Dusk, Alter Bridge, and Tremonti. How did this project come about? How did this, this album come about?
2: Uh, I mean, the project was sort of just, you know, drunk talk <laughs> on a patio down somewhere in Orlando. You know, after one too many Jaeger bombs and, you know, one too many... Seven Dutch Creed tours, you know, it was sort of just one of those things that we just said, all right, one of these days we're just going to go do this just, just to do it. Just cause we keep talking about doing it. And we finally did it, you know, which was sort of amazing. A lot of people were like, "Wait, wow, wait a minute. You know, I thought that was just talk. Um, so yeah, you know, it, it was sort of born out of just, just let's just go have some fun and just make music and not really stress over to think about it too much. Let's, let's just, you know, let's just go and see what happens. And you know, 10 years later, um, here we are making our third record. You know, I I think the biggest difference from the way that we approached the first one to this one was, you know, the first one was done all on an inbox in a home studio. You know, we had Elvis come in and mix it at the 11th hour to kind of shine the turd a little bit. But, um, this time around, we, you know, he was at every step of the process, you know, so, I think it ha- it has a more cohesive feel and sound to it because, you know, we took it in the studio and treated it like most bands do, as opposed to having a bunch of hard drives and catching stuff when you can catch it. You know, those, those first two records, I mean, it was cool to be able to see if you could pull it off because, you know, drums were done in one state, guitars are done in another state, you know, vocals would be done six months later Um, and then the mix had come, you know, so much further down the road. So it was also disjointed and disconnected, but for this record, we were all in the studio together. You know, we were all like face to face and actually kind of going through the tunes together every day. Um, so it was cool. You know,
1: you dropped your debut 10 years ago for this project and no, now here you are releasing your third album, as you said, does each album take on a life of its own? I mean, you, you have a lot of space in between releasing material for this project. Does it kind of organically happen or do you have kind of an idea of which way you want to go when you're, when you're writing the music for, for each album?
2: I mean, I think you always start with best intentions. Um, I've got a, I've got a frame for the fourth record already and, the beauty of it, it's like when you first start putting the frame together, you're like, ah, oh, this is it, you know, it's the best thing that I've ever done. And then six months in, you're like, yeah, I don't know, man, that third wall over there is looking kind of shady. <laughs> we might want to, you know, readdress the situation and you just find that you just write better stuff as, as you keep going through the process. But there's always going to be those two or three that are going to be sort of like your anchor moments. Um, but yeah, I think each project is going to have those things, you know, you're going to have those two or three defining moments and then what you build around it or against it, you know, I think it, it 100% happens organically, you know, on this, on this last record, you know, the actual title track, Hypoxy was, um, it was the last song. There's a lot of song that was written for the record. Um, and sort of because I had like, I guess, relaxed, you know, it was like, okay, I listened down the list and I felt good about the record. And I went, let, let me just see if I can just write one more and just see what happens um you know in case of emergency break glass so we did it and i sent it to the guys and they all started tripping you know they were like it has to be the first single and i was like i was just adding an extra song for the record guys like really wasn't thinking about the single and then it was like well maybe it should be the album title and i was like well i don't have one so you know and i mean that's about as organic as it as it gets you know Because literally it was just like, all right, just a little bit of insurance. Let's, let's just do it and see what happens. And then, uh, you you know, you start playing that game and you're like, all right, well, maybe maybe I should push my luck a little more often. Like, what if I do this all the time? (laughs) You know, at what point are you going to come up dry? Um, but yeah, I mean, it was 100% organic. You know, it was just like an honest moment where I just listened down to the list and said, eh, we could probably use one more. Just put one more that's, you know, a little more on the heavy tip and, and see what happens. Um. And it worked. So, yeah, I mean, th- these things are all born out of those, you know, sort of just going fishing with a guitar, finding what you get. And then, uh, you know, it, th- there's never like, OK, I'm going to sit down and write a heavy song. Now I'm going to write a ballad. Now I'm going to write a pop song. Now I'm going to write a country song. You know, it just sort of like you take the best of what the universe gives you and then you run with it. You know, and at the end, you kind of stand back and you look at your band and go, uh, does it suck? <laughs> and when they're all high-fiving you and giving you a thumbs up, you're like, all right, cool. You know, you pulled it off. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it always starts from a, from a, a very organic place, you know? I mean, it's sort of like scatterbrain where it's like, I, I don't know what the record's going to sound like <laughs> until it's finished. When, when, once we actually hear the finished product, you know, you go, all right, that's what it sounds like.
1: This album is born out of a few years of people dealing with a pandemic and social issues and a lot of confusion going on. And you, was did that affect how this, how you guys approached this music or or what you wanted to accomplish with the music?
2: Yeah, and I, I think it was a uh, it was a direct way. And then it became sort of an indirect way at the same time, because at that mode, like all of the music was written except for hypoxia. Um, So musically, none of it was impacted by the pandemic and the lockdown or anything like that. But lyrically, I was only about maybe, you know, a third of the way through the record. So it was a tough thing to not consciously be like, all right, what am I going to talk about today? You turn on the news, you see the numbers, you know, it's like, okay
1: you know fast forward a
2: minute let like let's look at this record big picture when's the record going to come out what how are we going to feel like when it comes out should i be talking about this the whole time should i address it you know a couple of points on the record to address it but it's like it's so easy to get sucked into oh we're going to do a concept record about coronavirus and the lockdown it's like yeah every other band on earth is probably doing the same thing you know because we're all going through the same experiences so you know for me it was like all right we're not doing a concept record but There's only so much subject matter to talk about when you're in lockdown in your house. You know, it's like after two weeks, I'm like, all right, I'm sort of out of personal experience here. I might need to go and tap into, you know, some, you know, think outside the box here. Um, And I think that was the biggest challenge is just like, you know, taking things in and kind of just looking, looking outwards at what was happening. And I think it was easier to talk about the pandemic from that point of view as more of a, you know, just observing, you know, even like hypoxia is not about the pandemic, but it was about just, you know, people putting each other on stun on social media, you know, just absolutely losing their minds on socials. But it made sense because you lock everyone in their house, put a big question mark over their head, whether they have a career or a job, can they pay their bills? Are they going to be able to make it with three kids in the house doing school while they're both trying to work? You know, after two months of that, they're just like, all right, I'm fixing to kill somebody. So they go on Facebook and have a meltdown on their sister or their cousin or whatever. Um, You know, when talking about those things, it's like indirectly, it never would have happened if it weren't for the pandemic. So I think everything that we were going through and everything that was being discussed was just sort of a reaction just to, you know, how life was, you know, and it wasn't all the best. You know, there, there were peaks and valleys. There were a lot of valleys. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, as seven dust, we were like, Man, are we ever going to tour again? You know, it's like live streams are cool, but they're not that cool. <laughs> you know, it's a whole different ball game when you're out there and you're actually making a living on on tour. Um, and it was just a lot of uncertainty, but it was like we're just one little blip. You know, for every one of us is out there, there were you know parents struggling at the house with their kids. Like I said, you know, trying to trying to work, trying to be the teacher, trying to keep the kids from having meltdowns and stuff like that. You know, it's like everyone went through their own personal. Okay, we're not real sure how this is going to turn out, but you know, we're going to try to work our way through it. But but yeah, I mean, it's like it, it's hard to live in a vacuum, you know. I think most of what was discussed is just, you know, just being more observant about how the world was reacting and what was happening. Cause it was, I mean, none of us have been through anything like that. It was by far one of the most bizarre things ever. I was like, there's no playbook for this. You know, there's no rules. <laughs> we're like we're making it up as we go. I don't
0: know who to listen to,
1: you know, it, it was a bizarre time. It, it is a b- bizarre time. I think we're still in it. You? you know I mean? We're, I mean, I think we're, we're dealing with it, you know, on a more day-to-day level. And I think we're understanding it more, but the way it's affected people and impacted people, it's still happening. I, I still see people like losing their minds over simple stuff, yep. you know? And it's like, you know, would that person have acted like that three years ago? Yeah. You know, yeah. It's just, it's really kind of, it, it's still happening. I don't, I don't think people I think, you know, we talk about mandates. I think they should mandate therapy for for everybody for the next, like, five years, at least twice a month to get stuff off their chest.
2: Right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it it, it was tough at some point for everyone, you know, Uh, even the people who didn't have it as rough as others. It was still a big question mark. And just, you know, just that uncertainty. It's like, wow. You know, I, I I think I even remember we were having a discussion because it was like, you know, the whole Napster thing and file sharing and whether to Spotify or not Apple Music and blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, OK, well, you know, there's we don't make the money off the physical sale of the music that like we used to. The money's all about the live experience. And I'm not real sure how they could take it away from us. And then it, it was like, wait a minute, three weeks later. Holy shit. What do you mean the whole world shut down? I was like, hey. Tim, remember when I said, I don't know how they're going to be able to take it away from you? He's like, you had to go and say it, didn't you? I was like, yeah, I guess I did, man. I fucked us. Like, oh, man. You know, I'm the dude who did it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I I absolutely could not believe it. It it was like one of the weirdest things in the world because I was like, okay, well, you know, now that we got our head wrapped around how to at least deal with, you know, streaming and the whole new way that people want to consume music all of a sudden you're not touring (laughs) and you're a touring band and you're like, Oh no. But I mean, fortunately for us, we're a band that's been around long enough where we could lean on those full album live streams. You know, you can do the anniversary thing and you could pull it off and, you know, I mean, it was putting band-aids on, you know, a pretty big wound and we found a way to actually, you know, get from point A to point B. But I mean, There's so many people who didn't have the ability to do that. And a lot of bands and venues and stuff like that, that you just watch and it's just like, oh man, so hard for so many people. But, but yeah, I I think it's the, the hangover, you know, and the thing that sucks about the hangover is now we got all this weird inflation and the war and stuff. So it's like, people are just fed up. They're like, man, can't we just get a smooth, like one year of just smooth sailing, just get a break.
1: (laughs) I will tell you, though, you know, I do go to a lot of concerts and f- I, I went to a lot of shows last year, but you still had to mask up in the Chicago area. Went to go see Mammoth and Dirty Honey uh, back in March. That was the first time we didn't have to wear a mask. And it yeah. just it felt good. It like yeah. it felt different and it felt good to finally like be able to relax a little bit.
2: Right. Right. Oh, yeah. 100 percent. That's sort of how we feel out on tour right now. Because even the last couple of times that we went out was like, you know, we're still following protocol and, you know, we've got people who are coming in and monitoring the local crew because there's local hands on all of these shows. And it's like, it's one thing for us to come in vaccinated, you know, tested and we're all masking up, but you're going to stick all of our crew guys in with a whole bunch of guys that aren't masking up and they're not. You know, there's nobody testing them. So it's like they hang out all day, come on the bus. All of a sudden someone gets sick and then we're off for however long. We saw so many bands chasing it because it was like it was nuts. You know, I mean, you see corn, one guy gets it, then another guy gets it. You see another band and it was like, oh, man, are we going to be able to pull this off? (laughs) Like, like for a minute there, it it was kind of scary because it was like, all right, it's all coming back online. But I, I don't think we're ready yet. I think we're ready. You know, right now, um, I mean, we're still super careful and super cautious about how we do a lot of what we do. But it just feels it kind of feels like it did back in 2019.
1: You know, and, I, and I also, point also point too. think, too, because I've been to a couple of shows since then, is that the crowds seem to be way more into it, way more, way more present, not on their phone. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're they're in the moment now. And I think that's an awesome thing.
2: Yeah, very much so. Especially with this, um, you know, with us, what we're doing right now, being in that it's the anniversary of arguably our fans' favorite record. Um, it's like the, the how they're singing the songs back to us and how they're, you know, getting emotional over it. I sit there and I'm like, okay, these people are having, they're having a connection, they're having moments here, which is really, really awesome, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure for a lot of fans, I mean, there are a lot of people that that's, that's what they do. They go to shows you know i mean that's all they do you know and you take that away from these people you know i remember one one guy telling me it was like it's sort of my therapy it's what like keeps me sane is going to these shows and hanging out with these people and you know having that and then you just park that for two years and just expect people to be normal it's like no people are going to be cranky for sure
1: <laughs> yeah that's true the, the album is out june 24th any plans you know with the album in terms of releasing you know singles stuff like that
2: yeah we've got uh well, whether we, you know hypoxia went out um like two three weeks ago yep. um two more songs that'll be coming out uh before we actually drop the record and then we just fasten our seat belts and hopefully find some windows where we can get out and actually do a couple of shows at some point um You know, I think the plans are finally lining up a little bit. It's like Seven Dust and Ultra Bridge are sort of on the same schedule moving forward, which is almost never happened. Um, So someone's going to be pulling double duty, but (laughs) not sure who it's going to be yet. (laughs) But yeah, that's 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 sort of the plan. You know, finally get this record out. Um, You know, like anything else in this world, you know, getting the record made was, was such a great experience, and then once we actually had it mixed and mastered you know getting vinyl printed and doing get, getting in line just like the whole rest of the world waiting for you know waiting to be able to have all of your stuff in one place at one time it's just it's it's taking a minute so it really really feels good to finally get this thing done you know it's like oh man you know i don't want to be burned out on the record before we release it there's <laughs> it almost 2 years almost 2 years to the day since we made it so
1: wow
2: but that's what a pandemic will do to you <laughs>
1: Well, what's what's it like sitting on music like that? For I mean, I've had I've asked this question a lot, you um, know, to people who've who've made music and have had to sit on it for a while. What's that like for for you knowing that you created something and and you got to wait?
2: Well, it, it's tough because I think the more time you spend with it, at least me personally, I know the more t- I, time I spend with my own stuff, the more I really tend to hate it (laughs) you know you start kind of like all right I need someone to talk me off the ledge here I mean sometimes it's just as simple as okay we got to just stop listening to it for a bit when we knew that it was like okay the vinyl is really really taking a minute it was like okay you know the, the record's great let's just leave it alone let's not let's not throw it out before we release it you know there were a couple times where it was like, ah, oh, you know, if you want to go back in the studio, we got time. I'm like, ah, oh, don't even give me the option to do that. You know what I mean? Cause I'll second guess from now until the end of time, but no, I mean, I felt good cause I went back to it. I listened to it. And I said, all right, realistically, all right, what am I going to ditch here? And we went through the whole record and we all went, nah, leave it alone. So, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It's really, really hard because it's not nearly as fresh for everyone else. Um, You know, I mean, for us, it was fresh two years ago. So the only good thing is we're actually really, really good at playing a lot of these songs. So (laughs) I've actually had some rehearsal time, you know, with actually learning the music and, you know, being able to spend time to kind of commit them to memory. But but yeah, you know, um, it just feels good to finally get it out.
1: Well, John, I appreciate the conversation. Thanks for coming on the Hook Rocks.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Hi, right, everyone. I'm Jay Scott. That's John Connolly from Seven Dust. Check out the album Hypoxia out June 24th from the band The Project Projected. And uh, take care of each other. Face run. Stay healthy. And we'll talk soon. Thanks.